At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. All right, I recognize that for some of you, I'm the only thing standing between you and a whole lot of gifts that you're going to open, and I see kids giving me some pretty mean looks, so I'm going to hurry up and try to rush. But one of the most beautiful things about Christmas is it's a day like none other in our preparation. Uh, We don't just arrive at Christmas, do we? Uh, Very few of us wake up and say, oh, I didn't realize today was Christmas. The fact of the matter is is that most of us have been preparing for weeks, if not months. Some of you, again, who I call overachievers started in July, Christmas in July. You were already thinking about what you wanted to do, maybe even getting those uh, Christmas lights that are around your house on sale in the summertime. For others, it was October that you got started. As soon as Halloween was over, it was officially Christmas season for you. Maybe it was Thanksgiving, but whenever you got started, the reality is, is that we go through great lengths to prepare. Uh, Maybe it's buying gifts for folks. Maybe it's sending out invite lists. Maybe it's getting the requisite supplies and ingredients for a phenomenal Christmas dinner. And by the way, I'm still accepting invitations. But all of us prepare for this moment, and rightfully so, we should prepare for Christmas if it's going to be special. And that's true for any day, any moment. If it's going to be special, it can't be haphazard. It can't just be by happenstance that we encounter that day, but we need to be prepared. While you have prepared on a practical level, no doubt, while you have prepared certainly on the level of hospitality, I I, I pray that you've also prepared spiritually. And uh, maybe the question arises in your heart and in your mind, and it should, how do I prepare spiritually for Christmas? Well, that's what this season has been about. What we've been trying to do over the last few months is get you prepared. This season of the year, Christmas season, has been classically called the season of Advent. How many have heard of that word before, Advent? Advent is a Latin word that actually means arrival. And what we have been doing in our church Through the study of the Word of God, through worship and prayer, through resources that we've distributed for adults and children, is... uh has been to prepare our hearts to celebrate the greatest arrival that we have ever experienced. As a matter of fact, as Christians, we know we live in between two arrivals, don't we? We live in between the first advent when Jesus came as a baby in a manger and the second advent when he is coming back again, this time no longer as a baby in a manger, but this time as a conquering king, judging the nations and offering to all salvation in him who have put their faith and their trust in Christ. He is coming back again, and how many are excited about that truth? Amen? 
But today, I don't want to take for granted that you have been preparing spiritually. I want to just say a few quick words about how we prepare spiritually for Christmas so that you don't miss the moment, so that you don't lose one ounce of the importance and significance of this day. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. We've been in a series called Fulfilled. We concluded today... And Fulfill really speaks to the fact that over and again, with perfect precision, Jesus fulfills the prophecies concerning the Messiah. It's as if, if you put together a job description of all of the, the qualifications that a person has to meet in order to be the Messiah, there's only one person who's ever met it in human history, and that is Jesus, born in the right place of the right way, a virgin birth. You can't fake that, friends. Uh, not only born uh, the perfect way and, and uh, by perfect means, but lived a perfect life and offered for us a perfect sacrifice so that we might experience salvation because of our imperfections. It was our imperfections that led this perfect Lamb of God to the cross. He lays down his life, he raises again so that you and I might have faith in him. But all of this is lost on us if we are not prepared. And so I want to look at Matthew's gospel. Again, Matthew has been telling the story of Jesus, and as often as he can, he's been pointing the story back to the Old Testament prophets. And there's a reason for that. It's because his audience, by and large, predominantly were Jews of his day. Jews who had been taught the Torah, what we would call our Old Testament, and uh, they were very familiar with it. They believed in it, and uh, what Matthew wanted them to see is that all those scriptures you believed in is now being fulfilled in Jesus. As a matter of fact, as John put it, the Word, the Torah, became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. He concludes his story about Jesus in these early stages, uh, not by focusing on his birth, but he fast forwards the story into adulthood. And look at what he says in chapter 3, verse number 1. He says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophets, by the prophet rather, Isaiah, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Here he is now, fast forward, and he introduces to us a new character into the story. It was John the Baptist. John the Baptist is this enormous figure. He is so powerful of a preacher that Jesus says that he's the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. That of man born of woman, no one born greater than, I, than, uh, than, than John the Baptist. But he has a very important ministry. His ministry is to be a forerunner, to make way, to prepare this generation that was going to receive Jesus' earthly ministry, to prepare them for the coming of the Lord. And how did he prepare them? 
Well, I want to start by saying he, the first thing that we have to do and the first thing that John had them to do, called them to do, was to listen to the message. To listen to the message of the gospel. It is great that you are here or watching online. This is a great way to start your day. As a matter of fact, I want to give a shout out to my family who's at home preparing pancakes for dad. And I praise God for that. Um, and, and when I get home, we're going to celebrate. But what the kids know is there are no opening up gifts until we have first listened. There is no uh, dinner until we first listened. There's no other festivities until we first have listened. Listened to what? Listened to the message. This message of old that God so loved the world that he gave. God expresses his love through a gift. And what is the gift? The gift is his only begotten son. None higher, no name greater, no more perfect gift. A gift that every one of us needs. This perfect lamb of God who's come into the world. He is the gift of all gifts. And so it's appropriate that we would first hear the message concerning Christ. You know, in other Gospels, they highlight John's miracle ministry, and he certainly performed a ton of miracles. But what Matthew focuses in on is John's preaching ministry. And where was he preaching? He was preaching in the region of Judea. If you remember the last we uh, were together last night or yesterday, we, we read that Jesus lived in Nazareth. He grew up in this city called Nazareth, this village which would have been just north of this region of Judea around Jerusalem. And if you've been there in Israel, you know how, how tightly knit this community is. And, and here John the Baptist is preaching and people are coming from all around to meet this man in the wilderness. Matthew gives us a little bit more details about this man. He says not only is he preaching in the wilderness, but he tells us a little bit about his message. We'll come back to this, but look at what his message is. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he goes on to say, but all of this was done to fulfill a very important prophecy by Isaiah. And I want to look at that prophecy. Keep your finger there. We're going to come back, but turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. And in Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 3, we read these words. And it's amazing to me that this was written 700 years prior to this moment. And it says in verse number three of Isaiah 40, words on the screen as well, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, in order to understand what this is talking about, you need to know that Isaiah 39 speaks of Israel going into exile. Again, God was... Uh, was um, faithful in telling Israel that if you sin, you will be judged. And they would often, like us, they'd sin against him and they would experience judgment. And that judgment for them was going into exile, literally being slaves of a foreign nation. But chapter 40 doesn't leave them there. Chapter 40 is about coming back home again, the return. And what God says is that, listen, there's going to be one who's going to preach in such a way that he's going to create a high way. 
How many have ever been on the highway before? A lot of cars on the highway. There's a lot of cars on the highway. And this, this, this whole thought that, that John's ministry or that this one that was to come was going to preach in a way where many were going to come through. That many were going to come and, and surrender their hearts as they return back to the Lord. This is what happens when we listen to the gospel. When we listen to the gospel, we come back home again. When we listen to the gospel, we hear the Lord saying that though you may feel far away, I invite you to come back home again. But what happens when we don't heed the warning? What happens when we don't listen? Well, I want to give you an example of what happens when we ignore warning signs. Maybe you've heard of what happened last Sunday in um, Hawaiian Flight 35. Anybody heard about this flight, Hawaiian Flight 35? There's about 278 people who loaded a plane, leaving from Phoenix to Honolulu, Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, last Sunday. It was supposed to arrive at about 10.55 there at the airport. But about 30 minutes before they landed, they experienced what they called unexpected severe turbulence unexpected severe turbulence. About 36 of those folks ended up uh, getting injured because of being literally bounced around the cabin. The plane descended, ascended, and uh, was going through heavy turbulence. Some people suffer head injuries or neck injuries. But the interesting thing is, is that the pilot had the seatbelt sign on. Now, how many are guilty of flying and ignoring the seatbelt sign? I know I am. I am guilty of doing it again and again, of ignoring the seatbelt sign. But this time, it cost. It cost pretty severely. Now, the good thing is no one lost their lives, and the plan landed safely. But there's a powerful message in it that when we ignore, and the message is not don't fly. So don't hear that, because some of you are whispering to your spouse, this is why I don't fly. It's not the message, right? The message is when we ignore the warning signs, when we blow off uh, the the message that is given to us for our own safety, we endanger ourselves and others. And today, I pray that you would know that when we ignore the message of Christ, we endanger our own souls and the souls of others. But when you give your heart to Jesus, you bless not only yourself, but you bless others as well. I don't know what the uh, trajectory of your family is. I don't know what the history of your family is, but I do know this, that for some of you, you are able today by your decision to follow Christ to say to your family, the buck stops here. Maybe there was divorce and addiction and brokenness prior to this moment, but I'm going to give my heart to Jesus and there's going to be a new trajectory for our family. We will be a family that has a multi-generational legacy of faith towards Christ. How many would love for that to be the trajectory of your family? When you give your heart to the Lord, it does not just bless you, but it blesses the generations that will come after you. The Bible says this, that God will bless to a thousand generations those who love him. 
One of the greatest ways you can leave a legacy for your children is not just through life insurance and estate planning. I, I pray that you do that. But Jesus offers something better than an annuity. He offers something better than a pension or a 401k plan. What Jesus offers is security in this life and in the life to come. Something better than social security. He offers soul security. And not just to you, but to all who put their faith and trust in him. And if you have done that, not only are we called to receive the message, but like John the Baptist, we are called to proclaim the message, to share to others that I have found a savior. I have found the prince of peace. I have found the one that can bring hope to a hopeless heart. You're supposed to announce to the world, again, that hope has come because Christ has come. Well, the second way we prepare is not just to hear the message. And John's message was simple. What I'm amazed by is that John wasn't trying to be terribly creative. John wasn't trying to keep up with the uh, uh, cultural norms of the day in his dress or in his proclamation. John wasn't trying to get all artsy with it. He wasn't trying to appeal to itching ears. He had a simple message. What was his message? Verse number two, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message, and it was like he had one song that he sang. Imagine a singer that only has one song he sings. Well, this is a preacher with only one message, and the message was simple, repent, repent, repent. It didn't matter who was in the audience. It could be people of great renown. The message was the same, repent, turn away from sin, turn to God. It didn't matter if it was politicians. It didn't matter if it was business leaders. It, it didn't matter if people were of low esteem or high esteem. The same message is that Christ is offered to all who turn to him. Now, what does the word repent mean? There's a little bit of debate over this in the hearts and minds of some. Some think that repent just means feeling bad about your sins or maybe just apologizing about your sins. But the word repent in the Greek is metanoia. And it means two things. Number one, the changing of mind. And the, number two, the changing of direction. That's what metanoia means. It literally means to go from sorrow, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, that godly sorrow produces repentance. It means to go from sorrow to change. To literally say, God, I want to go a different direction. I don't want to go this direction anymore. And to recognize I can't change directions without help. I can't be different than the culture around me without God's help. I don't know if this is a newsflash for anybody in this room, but let me just tell you, the way of our culture and the way that it's headed is not the way of life. It is not the way of salvation. And if we simply try to fit in, we will end up in the same place that so many have ended up, in brokenness and despair, we will experience the judgment of God. But if we today say, man, I want to go a different direction. I want to go the way of life. How many want to go the way of life? How many want to go the way of hope? How many want to go the way of love and salvation and joy? And by God's help, we can do it. Well, he goes on to say, in verse number four, the second thing that we have to do if we're going to be prepared for this moment, not only do we listen, but we humble ourselves in repentance. Look at verse number four. Now John, 
wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. I'm not recommending this diet to anybody. You can take it up if you want, the John the Baptist diet. It doesn't taste that great. There's a reason why these details are given to us. It's because if you look at 2 Kings, you'll find out that John the Baptist, in the way that he dressed, in the way that he behaved, will remind you of another figure named Elijah. And the Old Testament closes in Malachi chapter 4 with this promise that in the last days God would send one like Elijah, making way, making straight the way of the Lord, declaring the way of the Lord. In every way, John comes to continue the ministry of the Old Testament prophet Elijah in what he wore, in what he ate, and in what he preached. Then, verse number five, then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. There it is. There's the humility. There's the the action that goes along with repentance. It is not just listening to the message and saying, man, You know, I need to live differently. I feel bad about what I'm doing. Glad I went to church. I can check that box. And then going back and living the same way. But no, it's a deep sorrow that leads to us confessing before God. This this act of confession is so uniquely Christian. It is so uh, unique to our faith. It is recognizing that there is one to confess to because why confess if there isn't one that actually can cleanse us of our sins? This is why he mentions baptism. What baptism is, is a symbolic act that represents the cleansing that comes to our souls when we confess Jesus, when we confess our sins to him. Now, in order to confess sins, you have to have a category for sin. And in this generation, we have lost all categories for sin. We kind of believe to each his own. Who am I to judge? But there is one that does judge us. Maybe we don't have the moral authority to judge one another, but God's word judges all of us. We stand under his authority. And where the Bible says something is sin, it is sin. There is no use of us arguing with a God who created heaven and earth. Amen? And so today, I want to preach to you this great Christmas message. I want you to leave with joy. But the greatest way I know for you to leave with joy is to leave cleansed. To to literally be able to cleanse your heart because we all know what it's like to have a heavy heart. To have a heavy heart over things that maybe has happened in the past or people that you've hurt or, or things that you've done wrong. You don't have to carry that heaviness that leads to anxiety and depression and alienation and severing of relationships. Today, you can be free if you confess your sin. Let me give you an example of this. How many remember the famous character now from A Christmas Carol. His name is Ebenezer Scrooge. How many remember him, right? Now, by the show of hands, how many are him? Come on. 
Uh, I grew up in a home, and my mom is probably watching now, so she'll have to uh, yell at me later. But my mom was not a big Christmas fan, and so a lot of times there'd be frowns in the morning, let me go back to sleep. But she was always kind to us as her sons. Uh, but I will tell you some that are part of this month. Man, I just really got in trouble. You guys are going to have to pray for me a little bit later. I love you, Mama. But, uh, but listen, uh, some uh, don't get excited about the fanfare. Some of you uh, get, get really turned off by this whole thing. And uh, we got a name for that, Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, you remember in the Christmas Carol story, right, that Ebenezer is this old miserly type man who is angry and mean and treats everybody wrong and all of these things. And he's going about his miserly, old, lonely life. And then one night he gets visited by uh, three spirits, right? Christmas, the spirit of Christmas past and present and future, and he gets a chance to see his life as it's uh, played out and how it affects others. And he gets to a point where he finally says, stop showing me this. I don't want to see this anymore because it's painful to see your sin. It is painful to see how it affects others. It's painful to see how your behavior and rejection of God and selfish choices has not only ruined your life, but impacted others. And he says, stop showing me this. And finally, at the end of it all, he, he wakes up in this cold sweat from what was uh, apparently a dream that was all too vivid. And he's, he's crying out, change it, change it all. I don't, don't want this to happen. But he goes from just remorse over his behavior to actually being different. He goes from being a Scrooge, he goes from being mean to being generous and kind and righting wrongs. My friends, this is what it means to repent. It does not mean that we just simply have sorrowfulness, but it means that that sorrowfulness leads to a changed heart, making right what's wrong, making amends where there's brokenness, apologizing to those that have been wounded, you can't own everything that's gone wrong in your family. You can't own everything that's gone wrong in a relationship because everything is not on you, but you must own the part that you have contributed to the moment. And we certainly have to own the things that we've done to alienate a gracious and good God. But God in his mercy and his goodness today says, I got a gift for you. And the gift is my son who has come to pay the sin debt that you could not pay. And in one life, a perfect life, he makes all that is wrong right again. And so today, I pray that you have more than just dinner plans. I, pr I pray that your preparations have included more than just purchasing the right gifts and, and wrapping them up. But I pray that there's been preparation of the heart, that you have listened to the message of the gospel over and again, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him can have everlasting life. And I pray that today you'll go from listening to believing, to putting your faith and your trust in him and to live differently, not under your own power, but under the power of the spirit. The Bible is not the book of moralism that just simply says through sheer willpower, you can be different. No, we are all dependent upon the power of God to be different. It's the recognition I can't be different without God alive and at work in me. 
But here's the good thing. He will give the spirit to whoever asks him for it. And so today, I encourage you, trust in Jesus. Leave today knowing that you've been cleansed. And have the joy of knowing that as God is at work in you, he wants to bless you so that through you, others can be blessed. I want to invite you to stand with me all over the church. And I want to invite you to today search your heart. And maybe you can say, I've gotten a gift for all the important people. Um, and you can check off your list of all the people who's, who's been special in your life and, and you've gotten them everything they need, but what about you? Do you have everything you need? And I pray that today that if you don't have a savior, that you will receive the gift of salvation that Jesus alone offers. How many by the show of hands, thank God that you have trusted in him. Praise God that you have trusted in him. Parents, this would be a great time for you to just simply ask your kids, do you want to put your trust in Christ? To ask them if you've not already done so. Today, do you want to give your heart to the Lord? And if they do, today could be the day of salvation for them. We'll have leaders at the front to pray with those who would love to pray. But I pray that this would be the greatest Christmas that you've known as you not only celebrate your salvation, but share it with others as we spread it throughout the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the joy of knowing Christ. Thank you for the simple message, repent for the kingdom is at hand. It's a message that has been consistent throughout the generations. It is the core of the gospel that because Jesus has come, salvation is near. And so Lord, I pray that no one would leave this place without putting their faith and trust in you. Again, we have grateful hearts. We long for your soon return. And we pray that as we celebrate this morning, that we would go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, until all have heard, until Christ returns. It's in Jesus' mighty, matchless, and magnificent name we pray. And all God's people said a big amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.